Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hackett has the ball. Trojans in transition. Penrose is alone. They get it to Penrose for the three. Welcome to Believe in USC Basketball, everybody. My name is Aiden Berg, and today I am joined by my co-host and Trojan legend, Chris Penrose. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm feeling really good after that UCLA game. (laughs) Yeah, I think a lot of people uh, in Trojan Nation are are certainly feeling good after Saturday. And we know exactly where we're going to start today's show, so let's jump right into it. USC beating UCLA on Saturday, 64-63 on that last second three-pointer from Taj Edi. And just before we hit anything else, Chris, I just want to ask you for your thoughts on that play, everything that you saw, uh, how it made you feel. Let's just, let's dig deep. How, what was your, what was your experience watching that play and then the celebration afterward? Yeah. So, I mean, they were obviously trying to get a lob to Evan Mobley to tie the game. Uh, Edi was setting a back pick. Uh, UCLA actually covered it very, very well. Um, and then, you know, EA had the ball under the basket, almost falling over the the baseline because he had nowhere to go. And if you watch that play and you watch Tajidi, he starts to leak out a little bit. And as soon as he sees the defender turn his head away from him, mm-hmm. he cuts right back towards the baseline to catch and shoot. And all it took was that half second for the defender to look the other way, lose him. Uh, and then Tajidi was able to get a little quick catch and shoot in the corner uh, and knocked it down. And it was, it was just incredible. And, you know, you just think back to last year's season closing game uh, with Jonah Matthews hitting a three pointer with what was a 1.4 seconds left in the game, uh, wearing number two. And then fast forward to this year, Tajidi wearing number two hits a three pointer to win the game with 1.7 seconds left remaining. And it, it's just, it's it's funny and almost a little eerie, <laughs> the, yeah. The comparisons to how the how the Pac-12 regular season ended, uh, but it was it was amazing. And you know, you think that that was USC's first lead of the entire game was off Tajidi's three pointer at the at the buzzer, more or less. Yeah, and how about how about this for some more symmetry from last year? Happened because UCLA missed free throws down the stretch. Uh, I think Jaime Jaquez and Jules Bernard both missed front ends of one-and-ones in that final minute that could have basically sealed it for UCLA. And I think we had a similar situation last year where uh, where UCLA had a chance to to make a free throw. I, I think that uh, Jonah Matthews' three came off of – I think someone went one one of two from, from the line, and that ended up opening it up for Jonah to, to win the game on that three. But – you know, certainly just very similar to last year. But on that topic with, with the free throw stuff, how does it feel? You know, we've talked all this all this podcast basically about how free throws are, are a major problem for USC, can undo them against really good teams. They won this game not because they were great from the free throw line, because they shot even worse than UCLA did for the day, but because UCLA, uh, because their opponent was, was missing from the line at the end there. Was that kind of like a, a weird, uh, you know, position to be in having watched this USC team all season? Yeah, I mean, what's crazy about that, and I've watched the last four minutes of this game probably 20 times because mm-hmm. I still can't believe that that SC ended up pulling it off. I mean, everything yeah. that needed to happen ended up happening. So as, you know, Drew Peterson hits two big threes within the last four minutes, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but 
you know, SC's, you know, they foul Jaime Jaquez. He goes to the line. He's like a 72% free throw shooter. You need him to at least miss one, misses the front end of a one on one. Um, and, and so, I mean, what it's a turnover, right? It's basically like like getting a steal off inbound pass when that happens. Um, and then, you know, Chavez Goodwin, his best game of the year. Uh, but he missed a ton of free throws, right? Yeah. And then, you know, USC is trying to foul. They can't foul correctly. A lot of time goes off the clock. They finally foul Jules Bernard. He goes to the line to basically make it a two-possession game. He misses a front of one-on-one. And then Tajidi gets the ball, goes down, you know, ends up falling down. Uh, you know, could there have been a foul called? Yes, but, you know, it's a, it's a no call. It's probably, in my opinion, towards the end of the game, probably a good no call. But mm-hmm. luckily, USC has possession. I mean, if USC doesn't have possession when that ball gets tied up for a jump ball, we don't have a shot and the game's over. Yeah. So the fact that we have possession, we get the ball right on the, you know, right on the baseline for, you know, perfect spot for a corner three to win the game. Everything that actually needed to happen, happened. And I, I still can't quite believe it. I mean, UCLA did everything they could to lose that game. And, you know, a lot of credit to SC and Andy Enfield sent it in the, in the locker room after the game. He's like, the team never gave up. They played an awful first half. Every time they started to chip away and get close, UCLA would come back uh, and extend the lead to seven, eight, nine points. But this team never gave up. They continued to push through. Um, you know, they tried to play as best defense as they could. Uh, you know, I think not having Johnny Juicing for the for the Bruins help. But on the on the flip side, SC didn't have Isaiah White who's one of their better defenders and a big energy guy. So, you know, both teams were missing big pieces. Uh, and I think that's what made this game, you know, a very easy game still. Um, but I mean, hats off to the Trojans. And I'm just so proud of those guys that, that they ended up finishing that game the way they did. And, you know, UCLA hasn't beat USC in football or men's basketball in like over 700 days, yeah. which is just a fantastic <laughs> thing to think about. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you. I was very, I was impressed with the resilience that they were showing out there. Um, like you said, in the first half, you know, I, I thought it, it was really reminiscent of their defense from the from the mountain road trip. You know, they gave up 36 points in the first half. That's not the kind of effort that we've kind of come to expect from from them. They're mm-hmm. supposed to be a team that's holding you to, if not in the 60s, and then in the 50s probably, right? Right, And exactly. UCLA was, you know, kind of getting whatever they wanted, I think, Um Maybe the best example of that was that play right before the end of the half where UCLA just ran, uh, you know, their offense to perfection, ended up getting a wide open look and made it. And that was kind of like just going into the half like a microcosm of everything that had happened where UCLA was just kind of running the game. They were very comfortable, especially offensively, um, certainly did a great job defensively too, holding USC to 25 points. But then the second mm-hmm. half comes around, USC won- wins that 39 to 27. And even though you know they scored more in that in that half than UCLA did, it never felt quite as easy. Maybe it was just because you know they were they were behind the the entire way, but it never really felt as easy for for USC in that second half as it was for UCLA in the first half. But I think that that just goes to show that they were fighting really hard and uh, and you know showed a lot of resilience to to come back in that second half. Yeah, it was fantastic. Great win. Yeah, great win. Uh, just to, to hit some of the stats really quick, I was also going to bring up Drew Peterson's uh, threes, but you did that for me, so thank you, for, uh, thank you for that. USC had four players score in double digits, but 
Evan Mobley led the team with 13 points, and it was a similar story on the other side for UCLA. Uh, four players in double digits led by Hakez, uh 12. So, you know, it was pretty, you know, pretty low scoring, 64 to 63, ultimately. Um, but, you know, that's the kind of that's the kind of game that USC can win because they are such a great defensive team. So we'll see if they if they win more games like that. Obviously, such a great note for the team to end the season on. Uh, with that, with that buzzer beater, with a big win over your rival in their house, so uh, some some good momentum for for USC heading into this Pac-12 Definitely. tournament here. Part of that momentum is that they also destroyed Stanford last Wednesday, <laughs> uh, yeah, seventy-nine to forty-two. Uh, really, really great defensive effort. But Chris, I'll, I'll defer to you. What did you you know kind of see from that game really quickly? Yeah, talk about like exactly what the doctor ordered. I mean, yeah. coming off of two of the worst games they've played all season uh, at Colorado and at Utah, just getting pummeled by both those teams. Uh, You know, they they played a Stanford team that, you know, didn't have a lot of their, they didn't have two of their better players. Right. Um, You know, they, they just, they looked outmanned uh, and they looked tired. And to be honest, I think the season caught up to Stanford. Mm -hmm. I think everything that's happened with this team and, you know, obviously I can't stand Stanford, but, you know, I feel bad for these kids and what they had to go through, you know, basically living out of hotels uh, for, for you know, 90% of the season. They didn't even have their first home game till like February. Uh, they couldn't practice on campus, couldn't do anything on campus. And, you know, I, I just think, you know, unfortunately for these poor kids, all that just kind of caught up to them. Uh, but SC, I mean, they held Stanford to six of 25 uh, from the three-point line, which is amazing, 15 of 59 from the field. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you just – you love to see – you know, it was one of those games where SC went up by 30-something, and then it was time for some walk-ons to get in. And, you know, I'm all about that. See yeah. Mar Ross come out and hit a big three. That was fun. Bubakar coming out and going two of two from the field with a great alley-oop dunk. Uh, you know, Reggie Paris getting some time. You know, all the walk-ons coming in. Uh, you know, I just, I, I absolutely love to see it. It's fantastic. And I think SC really needed a game like this to kind of get back to that winning feeling, knowing that they can come out and score, knowing that they can play, you know, much better defensively. Um, it, it's exactly what they needed. And I think, although, you know, they, they beat UCLA and that's great, but they didn't play well against UCLA. I'm just hoping that that momentum of that victory can just propel them into this Pac-12 tournament. Because, I mean, if you look at that stack, going back to the UCLA game, I mean, 10 of 20 from the free throw line, that's not going to help you win any games. And not particularly. 16 from the three-point line, going 0 of 10, or I think they went 0 of 10 in the, in the first half. Um, I mean, doing that in... Pac-12 tournament, and especially doing that in the NCAA tournament, you're you're not winning any games playing like that. So uh, they need to figure those two things out. But if they can, you know, the sky's the limit for this team. Yeah, what you said, uh, I, I think that the, the best way to sum up that Stanford game is that uh, Reese Waters was was out of the game for garbage time. <laughs> That's how that is how. Well, I guess the whole game kind of was garbage time, but for the final minutes, Reese Waters was off the court because he <laughs> is like. I, I don't know. I don't want to say too important, but like it was, it was just that point of the game that he even he wasn't playing at that point. So right. um, it it was just that kind of game for USC and Stanford. Um, one quick thing on, on that game also is that Drew Peterson was 
you know, semi on triple triple double watch, I guess I would say 15, nine and six for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think you and I agree that is the kind of game that we want to see him playing because USC, you know, they have the big men who can store around the basket, play really great defense, all that. They have, you know, Tajidi and Ethan Anderson as, you know, kind of like main playmakers, I guess I would say. Uh, Tajidi, especially, you know, as a scorer. But, you know, those are, those are two guards who can who can really play make with the ball in their hands. And then Drew just kind of fits into that middle ground that I think USC does kind of lack a little bit, where it's someone who can kind of do a little bit of everything. And when he's right. playing well in, in that regard, I think you and I both agree that's best not only for him, but also for the team. Yeah, and I also want to give a quick shout out to Max Agbampolo. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he played 25 minutes in that UCLA game. I thought his defensive intensity was was really good. Um, he seemed to have his head in the game. Sometimes that's not the case. Um, and and I thought I thought he did some really good things. Uh, you know, he hit you know some some big shots. He had that really good uh, layup where he drove baseline and should have gotten an and one and made a tough tough layup with contact. Mm-hmm. Um, but but he you know he rebounded the ball and he he. He boxed out, played good defense. I thought he did a bunch of the intangibles uh, that really helped USC continue to stay in the game and then and then cut the lead at the very end. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think good stretch for him for sure to end the season, and you know, good stretch overall for the team, as we said, to to you know come back from that mountain road trip and and win two games that were that were really crucial for them to solidify themselves as one of the top seeds in the Pac-12 tournament. We're going to get to that tournament, but first we have to hit the awards stuff that just came out yesterday and well for for people who were listening to this 2 days ago and it feels almost like we buried the lead that we haven't even gotten to this by you know like 11 minutes into the podcast or something but Chris Evan Mobley won Player of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year, and Freshman of the Year in the Pac-12. Just go. What What are your thoughts? <laughs> it, amazing. I mean, it's the first time it's ever happened, which is just incredible. Um, to be honest, I'm I'm not surprised, and I thought he was very, very deserving of Defensive Player of the Year and Freshman of the Year. I'm a little surprised by Player of the Year. I think mm-hmm. it's fantastic, and I'm super proud of him, and I know the whole SC family is really excited for him. My opinion, that should have gone to McKinley Wright. Um, I, I just think, you know, McKinley Wright is a four-year starter at Colorado, best point guard in the country. Um, and what he's done with the Buffies this year, I, I just think it was probably his award. Um, so I am a little surprised about that. But, you know, to have that happen uh, is just fantastic. And I'm super happy for him. And I'm sure his family is thrilled. Uh, and then hats off to Coach Enfield for getting Coach of the Year. Very well-deserved. Um, I mean, you look at this team with eight new guys coming in, uh, trying to put all the pieces together in an up and down COVID environment. Uh, you know, he he did amazing things with this team, um, and also very happy and very proud of Coach Enfield for winning that award. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I have a few names for from from the Evan Mobley side to throw at you. So he is the only major conference player to sweep the three awards besides Anthony Davis in 2012. So he's gotten some Anthony Davis comparisons. I always thought that was a little bit off, but in in, in terms of the the overall impact, maybe it, maybe it's not so so far off. I don't know. Um, if that wasn't enough, Gary Payton is the only other player to win Pac-12 Freshman of the Year and Defensive Player of the Year in the same season. And Mobley also joins DeAndre Ayton, Kevin Love, and Sharif Abdurrahim as the only players to win both player and freshman of the year. So if you were maybe one of those odd people out there who said, 
who maybe has like a question, like a major question anyway, about Evan Mobley as an NBA player. I feel like those names should maybe, <laughs> you know, uh, set any of those concerns at ease because those are all very, very good NBA players, to, ranging to great and amazing NBA players. Uh, when you hear those names, Chris, what does that kind of say to you about the season that Evan Mobley has had and, and what kind of talent he brings to the table? I mean, there's no doubt that he's, you know, a top, uh, he's either going to be one or two, in my opinion, in this year's yeah. NBA draft. He's incredibly talented. Uh, I mean, just watching his post moves as an 18 year old, you know, over the left shoulder, over the right shoulder, the way he rebounds, obviously his presence in the paint defensively, blocking shots from all different corners. Um, and, you know, the only thing I would say is uh, his his size uh, in terms of his like weight and muscle. I mean, he mm-hmm. needs to get bigger. Um, yep. You know, Anthony Davis was very similar in college, right? He was a big, tall string bring up with with a big unibrow, um, <laughs> you know, and, and and, you know, Mobley is one of those kids who he's going to put on. Even 10 to 15 pounds is going to make a world of difference, especially when guys are trying to root him out of the paint. Having that strength in your legs, being able to stand your ground, that's going to help him out tremendously. Uh, and then, you know, his outside shooting. I mean, he's he's taken a few three-pointers this year and have made a few. Um, you know, I feel like his his free-throw extended jump shot's pretty solid. Uh, but, you know, Anthony Davis can hit threes, and I think Evan Mobley's really going to have to fine-tune that portion of his game, uh, especially when he gets to the next level. Yeah, agreed. Agreed on all of that. That that that's the you know the the concerns I see from him from from him as as a player at the next level. But you also just look at what this guy can do, and man, uh, to to be as tall as he is, as athletic as he is, to be the great passer. You know, I mean, we didn't see Anthony Davis play make at Kentucky like we've seen Evan Mobley do certainly at times this year, and so I I think that he translates very well to the next level just from his size uh from, from a height standpoint as you said and, and athletically and, and skill wise certainly needs to pack on the weight but uh i, I think that he you know with, with the the right staff and, and the right regiment he can definitely get there so i think you know well deserved i i certainly wouldn't have been mad at a uh, mckinley Wright winning the the player of the year award either because he is obviously a fantastic player but i think you know you can't really go wrong between those two guys on the on the topic with Enfield, uh, you, you you know you kind of spoke to the job that he has done this season. This is basically a completely different team from last season. You know they had they returned I think like three players, one starter, and Ethan Anderson who wasn't even starting for a lot of this season, and they played really well. They won the the, the most total games in in the Pac-12, finished second in the conference, and. Enfield got his fifth 20-win season in the last six years. So you're not only seeing it as – it's not just like Evan Mobley came in and Taj Eady came in and really, you know, just elevated a team that was otherwise not good. They had been a good team, and Andy Enfield, I feel like, has been really building something here at USC. And this was, you know, maybe maybe not hopefully the, the tip of the iceberg because you hope that they can continue to get better from here. But, uh, you know, the progress of – the the culture that Andy Enfield has has built within the team. Yeah, and I mean, you know, he's been very successful, especially the last couple of years with the grad transfers, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you see Isaiah White coming in uh, from Utah Valley State, Chavez Goodwin coming in from Wofford, uh, Noah Bellman coming in from San Jose State, uh, and obviously, you know, Drew Peterson's supposed to be sitting out this year, so it actually kind of helped that he was able to to come 
and then immediately as he transferred him from Rice. Uh, and then obviously Ty GD from Santa Clara. Like those, those are all transfers that came in this year uh, who, who were, were eligible to play. I mean, that's, that's a new starting five right there. And when you talk about the returners, you know, Isaiah Mobley uh, is a sophomore return from last year's team. You know, he, he had an okay freshman year, uh, started in the beginning of the season, came off the bench at the end of the year. You know, EA is, is a returner, and he started a bunch of games, the majority of the games for SC last season. Um, you know, and Max Aguampolo, who, you know, didn't really play a whole lot last year. Like, those are their three big returners. Yeah. And so you have those guys throw in with eight, eight new faces, uh, and you can somehow – you know, be in first place the majority of the Pac-12 season, uh, and you know you're one, you're half a game away from winning the conference. It's pretty incredible, um, and and I think he's done a great job. One of my favorite things is he played a lot of man-to-man defense this year. And he, yeah. if anyone <laughs> hears me on this podcast, they know that I hate it when when they play zone defense, uh, which they did a lot of last season and this year. They went a you know man-to-man most of the season and. I think that's that's one of the big reasons for how well they've played defensively this year, um, and how they, you know, they're first in the league, I think, in field goal percentage, defensive field goal percentage. I think that's attributed to you know them playing great man-to-man defense, boxing out and rebounding, and limiting teams to one and done on the defensive end. Yeah, USC went twenty-one and six this year, best winning percentage under Enfield, and he's the first USC coach to win the John R. Wooden Award since George Raveling in 1992. So if that doesn't show you, you know, that it's it's not unprecedented for a USC coach to win this, but it's not, you know, necessarily a program that has had that kind of level of success and and coaching ability uh, throughout its history, I guess I would say. So, um, you know, great job by Andy Enfield this year. But, uh, you know, he's probably looking more at what we're, you know, what, what is building for the future and, and certainly what left they have to do this season. Uh, I just want to hit one more thing on the awards stuff before we move on to the Pac-12 tournament and shout out Taj Edey for rounding out USC's awards claims by receiving that, uh, that second team all Pac-12 selection. And uh, yeah, I, well I think certainly well-deserved uh, from, from him on that. But can you speak to what you've seen from Taj Edey this season? I mean, he's been the go-to guy. Right when SC needs a bucket, he's been the guy that they, they have to go to. In my opinion, it hasn't really been at the public. When they need a big shot, a big three, um, you know, they usually look his way. And I think that once EA came back and Taj was able to play a little bit more two guard to come off screens and get open shots, that's when he's really flourished. And if you look at the end of the UCLA game, you know they had Drew Peterson play a lot of point guard uh, when EA was out of the game when they went big. And, you know, Peterson brought the ball up and Tajidi was coming off screens and they were trying to get him looks. Um, he's really kind of been the engine of this team. Um, you know, defensively, he's played really well. And, uh, you know, everything I hear about him is he's just a great kid, um, comes from a great family, got his head screwed on right. Um, and I just hope that he can, you know, he gets an opportunity at the next level. Very, very happy and very proud of Taj. Yeah, I think, you know, I had heard how how talented of an offensive player he was at Santa Clara for sure and how how great he was there. But like you said, he's been really good defensively, and I don't think that that can go underrated for a 165-pound guard. You know, he's a guy who size-wise could potentially be be picked on, and I haven't really seen it from mm-hmm. a lot of teams, you know, that they've been playing against. It's not the NBA where he's going to be having, having to guard like LeBron James on switches and stuff like that, but 
you know, when he has been in those positions, you know, he, I, I think he was, he was really good against Tiger Campbell at, a lot of times during the two mm-hmm. UCLA matchups, really getting, uh, keeping him in front, keeping his hips squared. I thought he did a really good job of that and kind of limiting what Campbell can do for that UCLA offense. So, you know, just a great all-around season for, for Tajidi and, and certainly I think well-deserved to be all Pac-12 second team. Totally agree. All right, let's hit the Pac-12 tournament here before we get going. USC finishes, as we said, the number two seed in the Pac-12, has a bye in the opening round, and will play the winner of number seven, Utah, and number 10, Washington. And I pose the question to you, Chris, although I feel like I know what your answer is probably going to be. What, you know, what should USC be hoping for from that first game? I'm assuming that you're going to say that they would like Washington to win so that they can play them. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't mind trying to uh, get our revenge on Utah after that horrible, horrible game we played up in Salt Lake City. That's fair but enough. But looking at this bracket, you know, I I think Oregon is going to have a tougher time as a one seed getting the winner of Washington State ASU than USC will getting the winner of, of Washington and Utah. Yeah. Um, and I think Colorado is actually even in a better spot getting the winner of Cal and Stanford. So, you know, I think I think Oregon has one of the one of the toughest um, – you know, roads here out of the first round, if I'm looking at any of these things, uh, you know, ASU, although they had a, a, a bad year, um, there's no, there's no denying that they still have some of the best talent in the conference. Uh, and they can, you know, if Remy Martin and Alonzo Verge Jr. get hot, I mean, those guys can make a run. Um, I mean, you just never know in Washington state, you know, they have Isaac Bonton back and Noah Williams is playing out of his mind right now. You know, that's a scary team. Those two guys get hot. So, you know, if I'm SC, I'm actually happier with the two seed than I am the one seed just for tournament purposes. Um, and, you know, Washington, they, they can knock off Utah. I mean, that zone, if Utah gets impatient, you know, that zone can cause some problems. And the longer Washington hangs in, you know, the, the better chance they're going to have. And, you know, it's just kind of funny to think that Washington was – I mean, they were in the last place for the majority of the season. Somehow they, you know, Cal dropped below them. Um, yeah. But, you know, Washington has some talent. They have some good guards that can shoot the three. Um, but, I, you know, I like SC having, you know, to play one of those two teams first. And then, you know, most likely they're playing Colorado. And I'd rather be on the Colorado side of the bracket than the Oregon side of the bracket, to be honest. I think Oregon is playing the best basketball of anyone in the conference at this time. Um, I think that was the big wake up call when SC just beat the crap out of them uh, at the Galen center a couple weeks ago. And I think their heads got screwed on right after that. Um, So, you know, as coach Floyd always used to tell us, it's very, very hard to beat a team three times Mm -hmm. in the same season. It's very difficult. Um, The third time around a whole different ball game. And, you know, it's especially in a short turnaround time. Um, I think that's that's going to be very evident. So I think I like that USC Colorado matchup in the semis, um, and then I you know I, I'd love to see USC and Oregon face off in the championship. You see, that's interesting that you say that. I I, I don't feel like we disagree on this podcast the whole time, but I'm going to disagree with you there. I think that being on Colorado side of the bracket is not where USC wants to be because. Yes, I, I agree with you. It is hard to beat a team three times in the same season. 
But Colorado has beaten USC six straight times dating back to early 2019. And I know that those were different USC teams, different Colorado teams, players come and go. But I, th- I think it, it shows that they know how to play against USC's kind of style of, of team. And Colorado is very physical. They're very good defensively. And they, you know, kind of really throw USC off their game a lot of times, I feel like. You know, I, I still can't get the, the image of Jariah Horn shooting the lights out and McKinley Wright flying all over the court, doing, doing everything. And Evan Batty tossing big men around under the basket, you know, in, in, especially in that last road game. But also earlier in the season at the Galen Center. I just feel like Colorado is kind of a, a bad matchup for USC, and certainly it's going to provide the Trojans a lot of motivation to to play them again, uh, assuming that Colorado does make it to that semifinal round and play USC, If you know, and, and if, assuming that USC would make it there too, for sure. Uh, it would give them a lot of mo- motivation that, in that game, but there's just a degree where when it's a bad matchup, it's a bad matchup, and uh, I, I don't know if, if USC should be happy to be on that side of the bracket. Yeah, but, you you know, I'm a betting man, and uh, you said Colorado's won six times in a row. Hey, if I'm, if I'm on the – if I'm playing Russian roulette and I and I hit black six times in a row, guess what? I'm going red. You <laughs> That's know, it's, fair. It's our time. We're due. We're ready to go. It's, it's, time, it's time to get back in the win column against them. Um, but, I, you know, this is my favorite time of the year. I love this tournament. I love all the conference tournaments. It's going to be a ton of fun. Um and you know it starts Wednesday night with uh, with three games, and then you know Thursday it's game on. So let's rock and roll. Yeah, yeah, I'm also certainly very excited to to see how this plays out. See how you know all the teams like kind of different dynamics at this point of the season end up intersecting just for these specific games, and it's going to be super interesting to see for sure. I, I don't want to put you on the spot too much. If you want to offer a prediction for who you think ends up winning this Pac-12 tournament. I would love to hear it. I just think Oregon's playing the best basketball of anyone right now. I think I think it's their tournament to lose. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they have a great team. And, you know, I think they're going to be a very, very tough out in the NCAA tournament. And they're going to be seeded uh, uh, much worse than what they would deserve. Just because of the lack of games and the COVID pauses and all that, uh, I think it's Oregon's to lose. All right. Yeah, that's that's fair. I, I think them and you know, I, I was also impressed with the with the way that Colorado was finishing the season. Uh, maybe that's just specifically because I saw them beat the crap out of USC and then also beat UCLA. That, those are two just very good wins to have. But also they were at home and Colorado is a much better team there. So I think yeah. uh, those two and USC are kind of probably the the three teams that you're looking at the most. With the way that UCLA finished the season, you know, it could be a either or kind of thing. They could either feed off of that and work to improve and, and get better at finishing these games out because they've had a few games here at the end where they were leading in the second half and just kind of let it slip. Uh, that USC game, like we talked about specifically, being the mm-hmm. most notable example, I think. But they, they so they could improve on that kind of stuff or they could let this you know, skid that they've had kind of derail them for, for this stretch. But we will see how that ends up playing out. That's going to do it for today's show. Thank you to everyone for listening. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else that podcasts exist. Thanks again for tuning in, and we will see you next week. Fight on. Fight on.
thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.